0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the THP Strength Podcast. My name is Isaiah Rivera. I am a professional dunker and I also coach athletes on how to jump higher and run faster. I've been obsessively doing this for years now. And John, if you want to introduce yourself as well. My name is John Evans. I am the
1: coach of Isaiah Rivera, the Isaiah Rivera I also coach other pro dunkers have worked with a lot of other pro dunkers have done coaching at the divisional level for track and have a master's degree undergraduate degree in sports science worked with the OTC worked in the athletic lab doing sports performance with pro and soccer and pro semi-pro track and field athletes as well as working at Altus interning at Altus I'm not going to go
0: I know my shit anyways Isaiah go ahead (laughs) (laughs) this week's podcast is brought to you by legion supplements one of the biggest questions we get asked is how can i improve my recovery one of the only ways to do this is to give your body more of what it already needs increasing bioavailability of these micronutrients can help you in other words it lets your body do what it is already trying to do during recovery but better use the code thp at checkout and you will get a a discount supplements are awesome make sure you go check them out secondly we want to shout out hawkins dynamics if you're looking for force plates to fact check us go check them out they have great leasing options Lastly, if you're looking to get coached by both me and John Evans, go to THPStrength.com. You can sign up for a consultation call, see if you're a good fit for our program. Today's episode, we are going to be covering back pain, which is one of the most common injuries. I think it is the most common injury that Americans face in this day and age in terms of jump training athletes, it's probably the second most common problem that they deal with second to knee pain. It is very common. And the chances are at some point in your life, you're going to experience it. We're going to go over our personal experiences first. So for me, first time I ever experienced back pain was when I was around 19, 20 years old. And I experienced it doing a lot of deadlifts. Went and did a dunk session. I remember my back was super tight. I didn't know what was going on. Took some time off. It got better. Then I would experience bouts of it every now and then over the next two years, specifically when I would deadlift and back squat in the exact same workout. So I just stopped deadlifting completely around two years ago. Didn't really have any issues for a long time. And then this past year, I started getting a lot of issues. It started when I did a a, a super heavy power clean in a deep squat, my spine went into flexion. Then I went right into back squatting. That same workout didn't warm up, didn't warm up at all right before the squat. I think I went straight to, I think I put, I started with 225 then went straight to 295 on the back squat. And then that wrecked my back. Tried to jump through it over the next couple months. That was really bad. And I think it was from around July to I wanna say November this year extremely bad back pain because of that was able to get rid of it. Right now is giving me no issues. Pretty much. I did experience it a little bit when I got rim stuffed and I landed really bad. You never get like rim stuffed, temporary. Stuff, bro. I've never seen you get <laughs> rim stuffed.
1: It just doesn't happen.
0: <laughs> it's funny in the YouTube video that, um, I posted recently, I talk about it. I was like, yeah, I got rim stuffed last session. And then CJ put in every rim stuff back <laughs> to back. To, it was like 10 of them in a row. But yeah, other than that, I can basically train pain free as far as my back goes and it is because of the principles that uh, we are going to be covering today and then john if you want to go over your experience with back pain
1: yeah so i actually started having back pain it was actually the first serious injury that i ever had other than like maybe an ankle sprain or something like that when i was 13 i started high jumping like a lot basically every day along with lifting doing heavy half squats and trying to learn how to deadlift and do all this unsupervised in my basement with like metal plates and this like shitty bar. And I really just started to get hurt, like specifically my back. So at the time I remember I was like back spasms. I was like walking around and I was like 13 or 14 and my back would just lock up. And I remember talking to my uncle who was a PT and he like kind of felt around and was like, yeah, it looks like you're starting to get back spasms and stuff. And I couldn't do shit. Like I couldn't walk without pain. Like every time I put my foot out in front of me, I remember it was like a stabbing pain in my low back and like grabbing would kind of suck the wind out of you. And I knew it was like a muscle, but it was just so annoying. I think I just used ibuprofen. I probably did heat or something like that. And honestly just trained through it (laughs) and didn't really pay attention to the pain at all. I just was like, I want to jump higher. Like my back feels good enough for me to do stuff. So I'm just going to do stuff. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And I remember when I was like, 14 or 15 I think it was so I think I started having spasms at 14 so maybe a little after that time I was like actually outside dunking and they like it like locked up and I was low-rimming actually one of the few times I specifically remember low-rimming and we're at my cousin's house and then locked up like I said my uncle felt it and I remember like being back in my house and I was trying to to stretch out my back I was like my low back is just so inflexible I feel like I can't bend over at all I can't do anything And it really got bad after I did a volleyball. I, (laughs) it was actually really bad. So I lifted in the morning, did half squats or back squats at 285 or something when I was 14. And then I went to track practice, summer track practice and high jumped for one or two hours. And then I went to an all night volleyball tournament and jumped all night (laughs) for this volleyball tournament. Like, hitting's whatever else. Like, I just love volleyball all the time. And my back, I just remember the next day, it was so bad. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up. It was just really bad. I couldn't even sit in a chair for an extended period of time. My back was so sore and so painful. Yeah. And that probably lasted for three, four, three or four months. Honestly, we thought that I had a herniated disc. We went to the, it was a one, of, one of the few times my mom has taken me to the doctor in my entire life. I remember this. And we went to get an MRI and they were like, you have bulging discs. Like they're not herniated yet. And then I had another MRI, I think when I was like a senior in high school. And then they did confirm that I had several herniated discs. Actually, I think it was like L3, L4, L5, S1 were herniated. And I had sciatica. I started having sciatica when I was like a, 17 or 18, just not training properly. You know what I mean? It's part of the reason what makes me a good coach today is all the stuff that I've experienced. So you guys don't do the same thing. But I didn't really, honestly, I just trained through it. (laughs) I really just trained through it. And I was like, I'm not getting surgery. My brother, my twin brother actually had back surgery and his was like good, but it was honestly like, he still was like, I can't do stuff, like I'm limited, and it took him years to get back to a point where he was like really pain free. Dan Gross is calling. Yeah. Should I answer it? Um, <laughs> and so prioritize podcast. Yeah. Well, I wanted to put him on the podcast. That'd be hilarious. So yeah, I ended up, yeah, I really just trained through it, didn't get surgery, and eventually it just started to get better and went away. And my sciatica, I just lived with
0: until it went away, and I can yeah. talk more about why I think that is, but. Yeah, that's basically what happened. You saying the day after you woke up from the volleyball tournament, like how bad it was, reminds me of I remember the specific day it was my back was at its absolute worst. So it had flared up. Right. It was after playing basketball and doing all my squatting and stuff like that. Then I had a plane ride to New Jersey. This is when I went to go get Austin. And in the plane ride, I fell asleep because I had a whole row to myself and I fell asleep like leaning against the window um, of the plane. And I was, like, in flexion, and it was maybe, like, a two-hour flight. I remember waking up, and, like, I couldn't move, and it was horrible. And I went to Austin's house, and I remember just, just lying down, like, Cause pain walking. I couldn't really walk very far because it was. All, I also had sciatica, and I couldn't like stretch my leg out in front of me, or else my freaking like my glute would feel like it had a freaking knife being driven through it. And so yeah, it was really bad. Looking back at that time. So I guess now we will go into the the good stuff. So just to give you guys some background, a lot of the information that we use in terms of, of back health comes from Stuart McGill. I highly recommend you guys check him out. Specifically, I've I got two books that I've really studied a lot from them. One of them is called Back Mechanic and the other one's called Gift of Injury. Specifically, Gift of Injury is really good if just in general, you're going through any kind of injury. It can put you into a good mindset, can give you a lot of confidence in terms of the path to recovery and stuff like that. That book is about a powerlifter who was one of the strongest uh, powerlifters all time. And he literally had a, like he cracked his vertebrae and his discs were like basically completely gone. And McGill was able to get him back to... Being a very elite powerlifter back to breaking world records and stuff like that, so highly recommend you guys check that out. So, the way we're going to do this is John I'm is going to ask him. me, I'm basically going to yeah, quiz basically. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John's going to ask right. me questions and I'm going to answer his
1: questions regarding back pain. So, just in general, when you're looking at back pain, it, it could be like a number of things. How do you decide what is the cause of the issue? Is there a way to tell? Or is it just we don't really know? I guess I have my kind of approach to this, but I want to hear yours. Like how would you yeah. identify what the problem actually was, or do you have a way to
0: do that? Yeah. In terms of the seeing what the actual problem is, it's basically what you're able to do what causes pain, what movement strategies are causing pain. So there could be a lot of different things. Someone might feel pain through flexion, someone might feel pain through like hyperextension of the spine, someone might feel pain through dynamic loading. Compression, which is loading the the spine up from the top think put just putting a bar on on your back and then it can be made worse through things like like neck flexion. So if, if you have a loaded bar on you and then you look down, that might trigger pain or if you look up, that might trigger pain. Generally, from what I know off the top of my head, I know we were talking about it right before the podcast. The most common type of pain, especially for athletes that are younger under fifty five, is disc bulges. Like like you you said, you had a disc bulge when that's right, baby. (laughs) You were a teen, and generally that is caused through spinal flexion. That's the biggest issue that even we've personally seen through our athletes. Most guys will deadlift with a rounded back. They'll sit slouched in a chair, and over time. I think I have an analogy here that I put in the notes, but you want to, you want to think of your spine, like a rod, like a metal rod, think of coat hanger discs, how they're made of collagen and they're built to handle a little bit of flexion, right? So it's the spine, like the vertebrae bends and then the disc bends and it allows to have a little bit range of motion over time, like a coat hanger, you can move that over and over again, but eventually it's going to get compromised and it's gonna, it's gonna break. So that's the same thing as the discs degenerating and that's generally what causes pain. So through the disc bulging, then it starts pressing on nerves and it can cause a whole buttload of issues. But generally to give you a too long, didn't read, (laughs) didn't listen, most problems are caused by flexion, which is disc bulging, but you need to find your pain triggers, find exactly what they are. So real quick,
1: does it matter?
0: Does the actual internal
1: issue, like whether it's an actual bulging disc, or whether it's a crack in the vertebrae or whether it's pressing on a nerve, does that matter as much as functionally what is causing pain and addressing more of, okay, this is the thing that's causing pain. That's what's going to guide my intervention versus it's a disc bulge or it's a it's crack or it's whatever else, or is it both? Yeah.
0: It's mostly about function. <laughs> now there's rare cases where there might be a specific issue that needs to be addressed, but. It's 90% of the time it's going to be about function. That's why surgery is usually the wrong route to go. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is surgery, like I
1: didn't have surgery. You didn't have surgery. Is surgery the right option? My brother did.
0: Yeah. So surgery, it's, it's, remember the analogy you always give, you're just putting a band-aid on the issue, but you're not addressing the the main root of uh, cause of the issue. Mm -hmm. You can have surgery and it'll, right. You can go in and open up the body and fix all like the root cause and stuff like that but if you still have poor movement strategies if you still do stupid stuff in the weight room if you still go out and do keep doing things that cause pain if you don't strengthen or strengthen stiffen your core the pain is going to come back because you didn't address the the root cause mm-hmm. so surgeries normal. it's 99 percent of the time is not the thing you want to do same thing with taking ibuprofen or anti-inflammatories that's just putting a band-aid on a bigger issue. It's like breaking a bone. You're trying to put a band-aid on to fix it. So it's definitely more about function function, meaning find out what your pain triggers are, avoid them, and then learn how to move better and train properly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was
1: a question I had even just in general is I know
0: that if you were to put people underneath
1: a microscope and look at them, they're like, yeah, the majority of people have issues, but. Yeah. One of the best solutions is not having surgery and using other interventions for back pain. Yeah. Like, and just
0: because you might have like a disc bulge, uh, a cracked vertebrae, whatever it is, just because it looks like that under an x-ray or an MRI doesn't mean it can't be fixed because right, just like tendons, bones remodel, it takes longer for them to remodel. Same thing with like your vertebrae, your discs, all that stuff. The example of Brian Carroll, the powerlifter that I mentioned earlier. His x-ray showed a, I think it was his sacrum, was cracked. His discs were completely herniated. I think like L3 through L5 or something like that. Like the x-ray looked horrible. And then I think after a year, they took another MRI and it looked mostly healthy. There was still some like disc bulging, but the sacrum remodeled itself. It was a solid bone again. The vertebrae looked healthy. So the, yeah, the, the body can heal itself. It takes a long time, but if you if you use proper load management, it, it can remodel itself, get healthy again. So you have talked about a couple of different issues. You could have nerve pain where maybe
1: the disc itself ruptures and the nucleus of the disc is like pushing on the nerve root or you could have a crack in the actual bone, like the actual vertebra. And yeah. you could also have the muscles causing pain. So there's like different, you know, in, internal forms of back pain that could cause different, different types of pain. And I guess, and I've said this as well, how would you approach kind of each one of those, would it be the same approach or like you said, is it really just come back to function where it's, if that hurts, then do this, if this hurts,
0: do this. Yeah. So in terms of what, how each of those affect pain and how you feel because of those different things, that's more about the initial like healing process. Cause the pain you feel from nerve damage. Compared to like disc bulging and stuff like that. It it might be different movements that cause the pain one of them You might feel pain when you're walking uh, or sprinting or something like that Versus another one you might only feel pain when you feel flex or when you go into flexion It's more about addressing the pain triggers when your back is very sensitive. Yeah, and With that how you figure out how to do that you you have to learn your body You have to go see a specialist See what it is that is causing the pain and take a look at at your day-to-day life and what is it that that you're doing? Are you, sleep could be another thing, for example, are you sleeping in the wrong way? So the first step is always write down exactly what causes your pain. Pay attention. Don't, also, I want to say this um, right now because it's relevant. Don't ever test your back pain. Because that can mess you up even more. It's like activities um, of daily living are the
1: test. Like just by living yeah. your life, you'll figure out what, like, what is hurting your yeah. back. Don't be like, I wonder if I can flip upside touch down. Yeah, touch my toes really fast and and like, do a, go into a backflip. Like, I wonder if that'll hurt hurt my back. It, yeah, it
0: will it will. So don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you you just have to be very introspective. You have to be very aware about, of maybe about what's your body. It. Yeah.
1: So another thing I wanted to ask is, should you can you train around? Let's say I know that RDLs bother my back. I know every time I fucking do RDLs, they bother my back, but back squatting is fine. It doesn't bother me. Does that mean that, okay, just because the back squats aren't bothering me, I shouldn't do them. Cause I'm actually causing more damage. Even though I did, if I did them every day, it would cause no issues. But if I, as soon as I do an RDL, I'm screwed. So does that tell you, yeah. okay, avoid back squats altogether? Cause that's why the RDLs hurt. Or is it like, no, actually the squatting is totally fine.
0: You just want to avoid the RDLs. Like how would you approach that? Yeah. You can so you can generally train around back pain, for example, like you can do upper body, you can do calf raises, things like that. But generally you want to avoid the thing that's hurting, but you don't want to completely skip it. You don't want to avoid RDLs for the rest of your life. You want to address why RDLs are, are hurting most likely RDLs are hurting because you're hip hinging in the wrong way. The general progression, I think that this would be a good point to go into the progression of what you can train versus what you cannot train. Generally, so let's say you you wrote down what your pain triggers are, you avoided everything that hurts, and now your your pain settled. You can do day-to-day activities with little to little to no pain. The first thing you want to be doing is you want to do the McGill Big Three. If you don't know what the McGill Big Three is, they're the curl up and I can't really demonstrate right now, especially if you're listening, but you can literally just Google it McGill Big Three. But they consist of the curl up, the side plank and the bird dog. So you want to start these as soon as possible. The objective of the McGill Big Three is to increase your the stiffness in your core. I was just about right? to ask this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this, so I, I wrote in my notes here, the muscles of the spine are designed to stop motion. This is different from the muscles in the rest of your body if your limbs and your hips. Th- those muscles are designed to create motion. So the spine is it's supposed to be stable, right? It's, it's not meant to go into a lot of bending flexion. You don't want to stretch it. You want to be as stiff as possible in your core. So and it's this kinda also like, it's this, kinda
1: like the chassis, like the movement yeah. is not, the spine is not the driver of movement. It is the yeah. chassis that allows you to apply force optimally. If I'm going around a bend in a Corvette, the last thing I want is for the center of that car to turn into rubber and start flexing in the wrong direction. I want the tires to stick. I want the car to be stiff, a stiff chassis, so I can take that bend quickly and there's no flexion. That's why cars are like made of carbon fiber and why they are made of these very stiff materials so that you can, I guess there, you probably need some level of flexibility, obviously. I think even in a car you don't want it to be totally stiff, but there is a, a certain amount of, Stiffness is usually better. That's correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And not even just for health, it also helps for athletic performance as well because you can transfer energy a lot easier through something stiff. There's not going to be energy. It's like why you push through the
1: long axis of your body in sprinting. It's why when you jump, you generally want to have strong posture and good posture whenever you're at the bottom of the jump or whatever else. And if you don't, that's where you start to have issues and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I like, I, I wrote this analogy as well. Imagine stacking up oranges and then you place a heavy weight on top of it. The oranges are going to crumple. Right. And, but imagine you stack up those oranges, put a long tooth thick right through the middle. That's going to stiffen up the oranges. And then you're going to put the weight on top and it is not going to crumple. So it's the same thing day to day. If you're slouching, that's like the orange is crumbling down right That's you're slowly adding tiny bits of load over and over again. Eventually, your spine's going to get fucked up. But if you have good posture, if you're stacked, you have the natural S curve, your core is slightly braced throughout the day. That's going to create stiffness. It's going to create a healthier spine. So the point of the McGill Big Three, it's a way to train your core without going into flexion and increasing stiffness. It increases the endurance of all your muscles that stabilize the spine. So you, so that like you can do things like sit with good posture all day, and you're not going to get tired so that you can walk long distance and not, you're, you're not going to compromise your spine. So the Megobic three, you want to start that as soon as possible. So generally, if you are mindful about your day-to-day posture, you can generally bring the pain down within a week. Like within a week, it can be controllable to the point where you can do McGill Big Three. From there, you want to do the McGill Big Three three times a day, as soon as you wake up, mid afternoon, nighttime. Try to work up to a minute each. And then there's progressions of the McGill Big Three that you can work into after that. That
1: was like whenever I was like, these exercises are easy, Isaiah, because honestly, I've had back pain for. Years, (laughs) Years, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, "Why? What do I have to do about this?" And he's like, "Oh, do this one. It's way harder. Do this one. It's way harder." And I'm like, "Perfect." So those progressions
0: are actually really. Yeah. If you're someone like me whose core is incredibly stiff, yeah. And generally, you also want to do if there's one of the big three that you're worse at, you want to focus your time on that one. The goal is to bring them up so that they're even, so that they're equally as difficult. So in my case... That's new to me. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So in my case, I was really freaking bad at the curl up. I've always had a a pretty weak core and yeah, I was really bad at the curl up. So I focused on just doing the curl up and I found that it gave me the most relief as well out of all the McGill Big 3s. So every morning, as soon as I woke up, I would go into a curl up. I would do 10 seconds at a time and then I built it up to where I could hold it for... A minute straight and now and that was a huge key in getting my back healthier so that's kind of the like the first step in in getting your back healthy is focusing on the mcgill big three then you're gonna get to a point where you're basically pain-free day to day and you have your posture under control oh another thing that i forgot step one walking okay yeah, walking. what the hell
1: what about the walking? yeah tell but wait there's more
0: <laughs> so walking is huge. It is a big, like it's one of the most important parts of in recovery. And I think it's something that a lot of people um, miss out on. So when you walk the musculature that you use, it works right when you're walking, all your weight is usually just on, on one leg, right? It's on your right legs on the ground, left leg is up the good walking posture. You have a stiff core. You're bracing at the core using good posture. Shoulders are back, chest up, head is up. Don't look down straight at the ground so that your neck is in inflection. It trains a lot of the lateral muscles of the core and the spine and also on the hip. So that and it's not very intense, right? You're not going for a one rep max every step when you're walking. So it's very low intensity. McGill recommends walking three times a day for 30 minutes on each of your walks. That's so much. So that's something you also want to start. I hate walks.
1: It's so much walking. My girlfriend's always, you want to go on a walk? I'm like, your walks are like four hours long. No. I'm like, I want to walk around the block with my dog. That's I, it.
0: <laughs> I personally,
1: I love walking. Yeah. I was, well, move to Pittsburgh, bro. Like, move to Pittsburgh where it's feels like 11 degrees. You won't love walks. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was one time we were on the phone and we were working. I think like, we were like talking about work or something like that. And I was literally out there for like an hour and a half like on the phone. But yeah, walking is really important. So make sure you're doing that along with the middle Big three. That's also something you can do really early in the recovery process. And then I also want to put this quote that McGill had in, in one of the books. And I think this applies to anybody that's going through any kind of pain or load management. He says, when you experience pain throughout the day, instead of obsessing over it, acknowledge that you feel it and use this as a reminder to adjust your postures and movement patterns. Focus on the solution and not the problem. Mm. I think a lot of times with pain, whether it be knee pain or back pain, you there's like a flare up and instantly your brain goes into freak out mode. And you're like, Oh my god, what am I gonna do? My life is over, I'm not gonna be able to train, I'm not gonna be able to improve, blah. When the pain should be used as a reminder that you're doing something wrong, that you did something wrong, and you should use that pain as a guide to guide you through your recovery process and to see what you're, what it was that you're doing wrong. I think Kabea put something on a story. Do you remember the quote that Daniel Kabea put in a story? It was was like, like,
1: it was something like don't ignore pain is your body's way of telling you that something's wrong. I think it was like something like that. I
0: don't remember exactly what it was, but so pain, there's a reason we feel pain. There's a reason God put, (laughs) made us us feel pain, right? It's wrong. Stop doing it. (laughs) Yeah. It's telling us something's wrong. So that's like the beginner steps of walking. And then we go big three from there. It's about learning how to move properly. I was going to ask you about this. This
1: was interesting to me because I was always like, oh, that's all you do. This is it. And then you're like, oh, no, you're supposed to do hip thrust. And you're supposed to do like hinging. You're supposed to do squat. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. You never talked about this stuff <laughs> like, when you started teaching me because you were the one that really studied a lot of his stuff. Like I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, like I don't have the luxury of reading this whole book right now because I'm focusing on work and I don't really feel like doing this and you're already doing it. So why don't you just read the book and you can tell me what you learned. And you read the book like three or four times and concurrently taught me yeah. in the same way that I've taught you things and you've become the expert on the back things and I've just paid attention, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. you, so now getting into that progression, how do you start the progression? How do you know when to start it
0: and what is the progression? Yeah. You want to look at where you want to end up in terms of the progression. So if you're a jumping athlete, you want to progress up to jumping. If you're focused on lifting, you want to get to the point where you can deadlift and, and squat without pain. And in general, you want to start by working on the hips. Um, The hips are are really important in terms of back pain. You want to have good motor control over them. You, uh, You want your hips to be strong. You want to focus on being able to stiffen your core while moving your legs through. And your hips are like the main driver of that. So think you're in a bird dog, right? And you're one hands up, one hands back. You want to be able to move your arms and your legs while staying stiff at the core. A general progression from that is going over to hip thrust. A common mistake people do when they do hip thrust is they have a lot of movement at the spine though. They'll go down on the eccentric and like their spine will go into like hyperextension. And then when they come up, they don't stiffen the core. So their their spine's like still in hyperextension That's really bad. So you want to lighten the weight you first, you want to start with stuff like clamshells, single leg glute bridging until you, you can master stiffening at the core. Then you want to move on to hip thrust with very low weights. And then you get to the point where you can go pretty heavy on hip thrust while staying stiff at the core. There's no pain from there. The next progression would be an RDL. So remember, there's basically two ways to add load to a spine. There's there's shear for uh, shear loading and then there's compressive loading RDLs. They are going to increase the shear load on the spine. Now this is okay. As long as your spine is moving the way it's intended to, which is by stiffening up, not going into flexion. So you want to learn how to hip hinge properly after you do hip thrust, go to YouTube. Type in how to deadlift Isaiah Vera, and on there we show a drill on how to do hi- proper hip hinging. You basically put a broomstick on your spine and you do hip hinges, making sh- and the broomstick um, is a good reference point to see if you're flexing at the spine or not. So, fr- you want to be able to master RDLs, start loading. RDLs up. Get to the point where you're flexible enough and you have enough motor control and a uh, stiff core that you can do RDLs properly at a heavy weight. Also, while you're doing RDLs, you can also get to squatting. Now, squatting is something that personally for me, this is this was my main cause of back pain. I've been doing deep squats and been obsessed with deep squats since I was like 14, 15. I was always obsessed with Olympic weightlifting. Like I look up to those guys like Clarence Kennedy on YouTube and stuff like that, doing super deep squats. I've been doing deep squats forever, right? Now my body anatomy, I have long ass femurs. I have pretty good ankle mobility where I can deep squat, but I don't have the mobility to deep squat without going into a little bit of back flexion. Now, normally this wouldn't be an issue. But when I started getting strong as shit, being able to back squat close to 400 pounds, my deep back squat, I would go into a little bit of butt wink. And then just over time, over months and months of loading that up and then add jumping to the equation and add bad posture when I'm sitting down, it wrecked my back. So squatting was something I had to relearn. I had to humble myself and be like, all right, you're not going to be able to deep back squat without going into flexion. So let's keep it at parallel front squat didn't cause me problems because my spine doesn't go into flexion. I I can, I have the flexibility to do a deep front squat with no pain. So focused on that instead, but you want to really look at your squatting, never, ever go into spinal flexion when you're lifting. If you're, if you're doing a a deep squat body weight, that's unloaded, that isn't as bad. But if, if you're going to be lifting and pushing heavy weights, especially if, if you're on THP, heavy weights is an integral part of our training. Don't go into flexion in your squats, right? There's a lot of thing, ways you can um, go around that, right? You can elevate your heels. You can buy weightlifting shoes. That allows you to squat a lot easier. But yeah, you want to look at your technique, make sure it's good, and then start with just the bar. Uh, and every week, it's just, it's just like getting your knees healthy. Add 10, 20 pounds every single workout. Make sure you're focusing on stiffening your core up. And then over time you're going to be able to get your rdl and your squat up to a point where it's pain free and you can go heavy and then from there generally you're healthy enough to jump as well
1: got it yeah i feel that progression there more clearly and concisely explained the progression and why we do what we do than maybe any other piece of information we put out so isaiah yeah. hats off to you for doing the research and putting that in a very clear order So that if you're listening to this, you're an athlete, you're maybe one of our athletes or you are someone that is looking to training or is currently training for jump, jumping or basketball or whatever it is that following those guidelines are going to help you create a framework for what you need to do to get back. I know when I had back pain in, whether that been June or July, maybe Isaiah played an integral part in keeping me grounded, (laughs) reminding me that. Hey, it's okay. Like you need, you're, you're going to get back, just take time and helping me guide my decision-making, which obviously helped me as a coach moving forward. So all that said, guys, I feel like we've done a a pretty good job and uh, maybe thoroughly explaining things. The only other thing I would say we probably need to discuss is, and I guess maybe we did a little bit, but I guess. Did you really discuss flexibility and the whole like like stretching the spine or like whatever else? Because I think one thing that we no. maybe lastly want to end on is you see really often right now, our guys are getting into this. Oh, we need to load the spine and flexion. We need to do cat cow. We need to do these not curl ups, but they're like where you're on your like going to a toe touch and then curl your spine up loaded like with a barbell, and it, it just I think it's a terrible idea because it really is contrary to everything you just said and all of the research. (laughs) But it's contraindicated. So people are like, I'm going to do it. And you know what they say? Like fake news travels 10 times faster than real news. So you just see things like that. And for me, I cringe. And I'm like, this is the last thing that I want to be doing. Or it's never worked for me. It's only made my back worse experientially. And because I think everyone is like, oh, loads the answer. Not. Always the way that maybe people think it should be. So,
0: yeah. and remember, the musculature at the spine is different from the rest of your body, and and like specifically your spine is different from other. <laughs> your bones spine is not meant,
1: your... as we said, to propel it's not a you. Knee. It's, it's not a hip. It's not a. It's not meant for locomotion. It's not like your chassis of a car is not meant to propel the car. It is not meant. It is not the tires. It is not the engine. It is not the transmission. It is not meant to take you forward. It is not propelling you. It is holding things together so yeah. that the engine can function optimally. So the, tr- the transmission can function optimally. So the tires can function optimally. So your drive shaft can do what it's supposed to do. So I think whenever we just assume, oh, everything in the body is the same. Every injury is the same and injury is injury and you just load it and that's how you get the right answer. Like not yeah. necessarily true. How you repair a chassis is very different than how you repair a transmission. How you repair your knee is very different than how you deal with the spine. How you deal with your brain is very different than how you deal with cancer or some other, not every pathology is created equally. And it seems so simple, but for whatever reason, people are like assuming yeah. that, oh, stretching is always the answer and loading and flexion and loading in full range of motion is always the answer. And it's not. And I think that is a big misconception and something that people are running with, but it's not the answer. You see these seated good mornings or whatever else. And I cringe. I'm like, you're just going into spinal flexion at L5 S1, like a lot of it. And that is totally yeah. contraindicated for what you should do for your back and then you see it's not like the hip is flexing and they're supporting it you know what i mean and and with perfect posture like they're just rounding good
0: morning like a seated good morning so seated good mornings came from the chinese olympic weightlifting team i believe and those guys are crazy mobile and they're able to do a seated good morning without flexing i was gonna do they do they flex the spine when they do them they don't. So they don't flex. So it's a spine. hip exercise. I've seen a cu- so they do it like a hip yeah. exercise. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like a, it's like an RDL on steroids, basically how they do it. Yeah. But then guys try to recreate the seated good morning. They don't have the hip mobility they, to do that. They don't have hip <laughs> mobility. And the, the, half the time they don't even know how to hinge yeah. at the hip either. So it just turns into a fucking seated spine bend. The other one that I've seen, I don't know
1: who popularized this, but it's like the like you hold the barbell. I used to see it whenever I worked in North Carolina. You hold a barbell and you like curl up, like vertebrae by vertebrae, with a barbell in your hand. Yeah. It's like a stiff leg deadlift on steroids or something like that. I don't know where that started. Yeah. I've been that I've one seen came from gymnastics. While. Was that I'm gymnastics? Sure. Yeah, and it yeah. is. It, it is. And then a
0: popular program popularized it. Oh,
1: okay. So it, it became popularized, yeah. and now it's. I, I just don't think that exercise is good at all. <laughs> like, it, yeah. it, based on everything you just said, it's not. That would be something I McGill shouldn't be
0: doing. Has, <laughs> McGill has has done studies on that, like specific exercise. I'm pretty sure. Like he has a video talking about just that exercise. And being like, this is <laughs> so look up Stuart McGill Big Three. He talked about it for 45 minutes.
1: If <laughs> <laughs> you really wanted to get into that, so basically yeah don't load it in flexion don't do the exercises stop stretching your spine hips. don't stretch
0: don't do stretch your hips. stretching stretching your hips is good stretching the spine is not good you can also stretch your hamstrings without going into flexion yeah,
1: yeah. i think that's a big miss so the reason that you feel a stretch more when you touch your toes is because oftentimes your pelvis is moving to posterior tilt and when you're flexing that gives your hamstring more slack because if your hamstring is attached to the ischial tuberosity if your pelvis kind of turns into this butt up position or as i say like big booty, Judy, you you stick your ass up like these fit chicks, you know, that's anterior tilt. You're stretching at the proximal portion of the hamstring. You're stretching it. Even if you're just standing still, and you go into anterior tilt, you're putting your hamstring on stretch. So if you don't touch your toes and you're holding true anterior tilt, it is very hard, if not near impossible to touch your toes. If you're in really good anterior tilt, it's just like really tough to stretch your hamstrings that much. What most people do is they tuck their pelvis a bunch and they round their low back when they touch their toes to get much of the range of motion, it's not coming from the hip. And so to get that and some hurdlers and stuff like that, will use those strategies to get over a hurdle or like some sprinters will use that that strategy a little bit to get into the blocks a little bit more efficiently, but it's not true mobility they're just compensating their movement patterns so that they're able to hit certain positions, which is somewhat normal for certain sports, but to load it, to do an activity where that's loaded or even just use that as a stretching like protocol, I think you're just, every it just conflicts with everything that you just said right if the spine is a stabilizer and it's a chassis you don't want to treat it like a rubber band you don't want to treat it like this rubber fucking imagine a steel bar that all of a sudden just became rubber and then you don't want to treat it that way you don't want to load it that way that's not how you're going to build strength that's not how you're going to build stability it's not how you're going to build support my back is better and my hips are better when i don't go into these compromising positions. I think maybe the last piece yeah. I would add is your hips are mega important. It's called lumbopelvic rhythm, meaning your pelvis and your hips are, sorry, your pelvis, your hips, and your low back are intimately related and the coordination of one impacts another. And if you can maintain that neutral spine, especially in jumping and lifting and squatting and hinging in all of those activities, you're going to be way better off. And like I said, there's some activities where you're, you might move into some flexion. But like Isaiah said, there is an acceptable amount of flexion that, that is there's an acceptable amount of flexion. If you don't have the hip yeah. mobility to do that, then you need to address your hip mobility. You need to work on internal rotation, external rotation, flexion extension, and uh, abduction, adduction. But if you don't if you if you don't have that mobility or whatever else, or maybe it's a bone block, don't compensate by flexing your spine, <laughs> like or twisting your spine. I think that's gonna cause so many more issues so yeah that's kind of my two cents on it if i were to really just say based on everything he just said maintain your posture do mcgill big three go on the walks and lift with good posture and do the progression he talked about and you're gonna cure your back pain you're gonna get rid of your back pain and we've seen it time and time again with our athletes and and even with ourselves
0: don't and remove your don't ego lift remove your ego from the equation that's one of the biggest reasons
1: that lifting in a like apartment or uh lifting outside of a commercial gym is beneficial yeah. Like, you're just focused. It's you versus you. That's how your
0: mindset should be. So... Yeah. Because that's another thing that, like, I I the big mistake I made the last couple months is I was trying to just post big numbers on social media, strictly for social media. Like, just a stunt. And I started feeling a lot healthier when I was just like, look, I'm going to set my ego aside. I know I'm going to jump high regardless. I'm going to lift to make myself better, not to impress people. So... Yeah. Don't ego lift. Yeah. All right, guys. I feel
1: like that closes the podcast out. Those are our closing remarks on it. If you're listening, make sure that you like, comment, subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple on those streaming services, if you're on YouTube, which we are starting to put these podcasts back up on because Hunter has been able to help us edit them, fortunately, (laughs) because Isaiah and I don't really have the luxury to do that. Make sure again that you like, comment, subscribe tag me. I try to be super active in the comment section within the first 24 hours of posting a podcast on YouTube. So feel free to ask away guys. With that all said, peace out and we will catch you on tomorrow's episode.